giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robot Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chad Pytel. And I'm your other host, Lindsay Christensen. And today we're rejoined by Courtney and Ty from Shearshare. Hello. Hey, hey, it is Friday. Friday. <laughs> just just kidding. It's Monday. It's Monday. Sorry about that. <laughs> Ooh, ready to start our week. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever day it is. Extra you know, happy. That's right. It's going to be an awesome day. It's going to be an awesome day. No matter what day you listen to this podcast. Ty, the last time we checked in with you all, you said something that, that stuck in my mind, which is that Shearshare has diamond data, mm. this magical data. What did you mean by that? You know, anytime you're creating something that has never existed mm-hmm. and you're looking to scale, you're creating the idea and you have customers there's that data that no one has, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? And I think that when you when you think about it, you know, the diamond, how rough it looks before you get it shining and how you know it's going to be so prevalent and so beautiful. That's what Share Share was because we manually did this for almost three years. Mm-hmm. And so we had directional data before we even thought about building out technology. And we didn't even think about building out technology we just got tired of doing what we were doing manually because we had other jobs Facts. and we were doing uh, things to help our fellow uh, licensed professionals find space to rent. So the reason I say it's diamond data is because we were doing something that was so ignorant to uh, how we thought about it before we built the app. And we had so much information. Uh, we're going to say data again, mm-hmm. so much information that gave us just a clear process and path forward and path forward yeah. into getting that engineering team to build out what we had already had. So mm-hmm. drawing the, those slides on a Chipotle napkin years ago, we were able to now say, this is how we want this user-friendly app to behave at that particular time. Now we've transitioned and pivoted from so much different ways of, of what the users want, but that's what I call the diamond data mm-hmm. that no one else has. When you're building something, it, we're totally different from a B2C app. We're totally different from a B to C to B app because we are connecting businesses to businesses. So all that information is strictly for the two and no one has that but us. And the reason that we had it and the reason that it's so rich is because we had that direction of data for three years manually and we went off of that that with the, my expertise in the industry for 30 years and also being a licensed salon and barbershop owner for over two decades. So I'm intrinsically in depth mm-hmm. with all the information that's needed from both sides of the marketplace. That's a really good point, though, T, because I think about you know the fact that you had you know, so much experience and have so much experience, like you are the subject matter expert. But there were still questions that we had never, at least we in the industry had never asked before. Like we had never asked someone would you be willing to open up another revenue stream within your salon or barbershop and instead rent to licensed professionals by the day who are not signing long-term contracts, who don't want to be bogged down with a long-term lease or who don't even want to work commission? Like no one ever asked those types of questions. And we never asked the question about, 
Well, how much would they, you know, charge for something like that? What's the price sensitivity for stylists? What is the average number of days that stylists truly work by region? You know, and then that's information that, you know, we were collecting, like Ty mentioned, before we even created the app, just trying to help out our, our fellow industry pros. So, yeah, I would say Diamond Data. Is that also because your industry has sort of been historically underserved by technology? I would definitely say yes, underserved, but I think that it's because all the all the sheep and the cows are running in the same direction. It's, it's right. easy to follow people when something is working, but mm. you have to think beyond that. That's and that's what Shearshire was when we mm-hmm. created it. We were helping, but we had to think beyond where everybody's running and go the opposite direction. Get in front of this storm and say, hey, you know what, what, what is going to happen? And technology is where everything is going. Yeah. Now, we know that in my industry is very fragmented. We know how the fragmentation is happening mm-hmm. on both sides of the marketplace. But we also know that these licensed professionals don't sit at their booths or their stations with a, a computer sitting in front of them. Right. They are on their phones. So mm-hmm. how can we not only change the behavior, but also create it at the same time? Mm-hmm. And I think when you look at at industries where it is so focused on people services, right? Like we literally have our hands in someone's head, right? Or on someone's face, giving a facial or massaging them or providing nail services and whatnot, or beer trim. When you look at those industries in mass, it, it feels like technology took a while to catch up to being able to service those industries. And, and honestly, I think it would be very difficult or it is very difficult for, you know, a really great engineer to just jump into, you know, an industry like beauty or to jump into an industry like, you know, lawn care, right? Because there are so many different nuances that happen in those day-to-day challenges and hurdles and even I'll call it celebrations and victories that you really have to have the the knowledge of working it yourself and have the blood, sweat and tears to to prove that you've been successful in that industry to be able to come up for air and say, you know what, I can see how we can add a tech layer to this and kind of tech it out. And that's exactly what we're trying to do with Shearshare. So when you say, you know, it was a, a rough diamond back then, <laughs> is that just because it, it was manual collection and you maybe weren't sure how you were you would end up using it? Or there are other mm-hmm. elements too of, you know, why it was a bit more rough around the edges than mm-hmm. what you do today? Definitely. It was just the two of us at first. So it was definitely rough. You know, we're, we're having to do everything, wear all the hats. And, you know, there was just certain things that we weren't experts at and, and we weren't engineers. We didn't have uh, what we have now, head of growth, head of product. We were pretty much just having our engineers, which was at that time, I think it was two. And he had definitely great front end and uh, limited back end. But once we got that agile expertise in there, that helped a little bit. So we just couldn't really see as, as clearly as we wanted to. Mm-hmm. And the work was definitely a lot to deal with. And plus, we were going through incubators and accelerators at that time as well. So it was just a lot of movement. And we just couldn't really pinpoint on what we really needed to focus on. So we just kind of had to to make sure that we were keeping everything in place. Yeah, all the balls in the air. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I think the data was rough, too, just because you just don't know what you don't know. Right. Like you don't know what questions to ask. You don't know what question to ask next. You don't know how to follow up in those conversations. And so you just end up throwing yourself into being able to have multiple conversations. 
And so that's where it gets rough because you don't have a nice little bucket to say, okay, well, when they answer question one, put that response in this bucket. And when they answer question two, you know, respond appropriately this way. It was very much just going with the flow and letting the market tell us exactly what kind of data they wanted to provide us. Mm -hmm. What data were you collecting and how has that changed? Behavior, really behavior. What are the the, the two marketplace sides wanting? We mm-hmm. know that the user, which is the stylist, the business amongst themselves, we knew that they wanted to get a nice location. It depending on the type of client they have, the ambiance could have been sporty. It could have been uh, very high end. It could have been relaxing. And then we know they probably wanted a suite or they wanted an open station. Mm-hmm. They wanted more of a boutique-ish salon or a boutique-ish barbershop instead of just a really, really big barbershop or franchise. So those are the data points we was collecting with them. But on the other side of the marketplace, which was the host, the salon and barbershop owner, they were looking for making sure they were licensed. What, what type of licensed professional are they? How many days do they want to rent? Do they want to utilize the back bar? Mm-hmm. Do they need tiles? Mm-hmm. How long during that day do they want to work? Uh, like I was saying, but not just that way, but what time do they want to start and what time do they want to end? Do I need to stay an hour over or come an hour earlier? You know, things like that, that we needed to make sure the user, the stylist wanted to see pictures, not just one, but but many, <laughs> the outside of the door, the name of the that. place. Uh, yeah. How does the front area look? You know, is there a waiting area? Is there a bathroom? Is there a handicapped parking? Can dogs and cats come in? Just different things. And so, all this data was just so rich. And so we, we were starting to learn. It was a lot of things about, I was learning about myself as well, because I don't bring my dog to work unless it's a day off and I'm just doing some cleaning up or picking up some stuff. I have a very, very great ambiance. It's, it's not sporty. It's not uh, relaxing. It's, it fits the everyday person that wants to come in and bring their kids. So it was family just a lo- friendly. Family friendly. Yeah. So it was just a lot of things that I was learning about the industry from just different aspects of it from being in my little space. And and I think back to remember how we used to have just one picture on the app. That was terrible. And maybe like a couple <laughs> of lines describing the space. It, it's amazing, honestly, Lindsay, that people even gave us money, like that they trusted <laughs> us enough to put their credit card into this brand new app. And it had very, very limited information in there to make a decision. But I think one of the things that really helped was that we being from the industry, like, and even today we hear this from folks who call in or or text into our support line, they'll say, you know, thank goodness you guys are from the industry. I know I can trust you, right? Like they they know we're going to have their best interests at heart. They know that we understand the day-to-day challenges. They know that if maybe something is not readily available on the app that would help to make their lives easier today, that we're working our darndest to make sure that we eventually get that onto the app. Because we know what you're going to experience if you're in year one of your beauty business. We know what you're going to experience in year three of your barber business. We know what happens as a salon owner in year seven and year 27. And so the trust that comes with having that data, asking for data correctly, being able to put it in a place where you can actually mine for the data to get those very valuable nuggets and then be able to actually do something with it. Like you can't just collect data just for the sake of collecting data. Like you actually need to action upon it to make sure that, you know, you give something back to the market that's providing the data in the first place. And we also knew that even in the midst of we're not having as much of a robust app at that time, we knew that, like Courtney said, they needed to trust us. And we live in a world now, as fast as this world is moving technology-wise, is that people are rating and reviewing your platform Mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we know that if we don't have good customer service to our users, we know that they will forgive our app 
not being as user friendly as they want or not so having true. as much as they want on it because they trust the platform. Mm -hmm. And so we had to realize that what can we do to really gain that trust and forgiving spirit from these users? And that's treat the customers well as even if it was a storefront, but it just happened to be a platform and an app. So technology, you still have to have that that real emotional touch point with your users in that in that way. And that's data in itself. So we learned a lot as we're building this app that you still have to stay connected and, and very closely connected to your users. And even in that, you're collecting data. Yeah. Gosh, Ty, like you're, you're really taking me back, babe. Like in what you just said right now, you made me think about, you know, I guess how we first leveraged the data that we were collecting to inform what next steps we needed to take. And so I guess like a, a standard startup or brand new company, right, you would think, Okay, well, you have, you know, the executive team, you have the leadership team. Let's start focusing on building the sales team. But that is not what we decided to do. We decided instead, because we were having these one-on-one -on -one conversations with the salon and barbershop owners and these licensed stylists and beauty professionals, okay, well, it's obvious that the support and customer service arm needs to be like top tier. Like how can we best provide a brown glove service to everyone who calls into Sheer Share? And so immediately we said, well, we have to build out our operations team first. And that became really the, the undercurrent for even the culture of Sheer Share. Like we are hyper-focused on service, hyper-focused on support. Like when it comes to providing that A-plus engagement, we are laser-like focused on, on providing that first and foremost. Yeah, before you start talking about multiplication, you have to add. So just making one customer happy is going to eventually make the next customer happy. And then those numbers will multiply themselves. So we have to make sure we built this thing correctly. And the user first, making them happy and being able to keep them satisfied and connect with them in an emotional way was our very number one thing we had to do. Mm -hmm. We're going to take a quick break to tell you about today's sponsor, Scout APM. Scout APM is quickly becoming my go-to performance monitoring tool for Rails apps. I love opening it up and seeing a prioritized list of issues that I can quickly knock out before end users ever see them. With the weekly digest and alerts, I can rest easy knowing that Scout will let me know if issues arise. Ultimately, Scout APM empowers developers to spend more time building great products by minimizing the effort required to identify and resolve performance issues. Scout's developer-centric approach quickly pinpoints N plus one queries, memory bloat, and other abnormalities. Their tracing logic saves me a ton of time by tying bottlenecks back to the line of code causing the issue. It's pretty great. Give Scout a try for free today, and you'll have the performance insights you've been dreaming of within four minutes. Sign up through scoutapm.com slash giantrobots, and Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. Once again, thanks to Scout APM for sponsoring today's episode. So it sounds like you have a good handle on data now. You said that Maybe you had less of a handle on it when you were first getting started or doing everything manually. As we talked about last episode with you, you've gotten into an accelerated program with Google around data and machine learning. So has this been sort of part of the plan all along? Has data and the concept of how you're going to use it been an important part of your strategy or oh, has gosh. it evolved? I say yes to both of those. I think, you know, mm -hmm. as it becomes a part of your strategy, you're constantly evolving. It's funny to think how we literally started with 
a Chipotle napkin and then graduated to, you know, a notepad and then graduated to collecting our data in an Excel spreadsheet. And now, you know, just a few years later, we're talking about our data lakes, right? And how we can best improve upon those to provide a highly personalized experience on the platform. And so I think that evolution just comes naturally because you're constantly trying to understand better the needs of your market and how you can uniquely identify and meet those needs and best service those needs. And data is a large part of that, being able to slice and dice vast amounts of data. And the more data you collect, like the more opportunity you have to flatten that data to get to a finite set of actions that your team needs to actually implement. Who currently owns the data management and surfacing insights from it within the company? Mm -hmm. Our dog, Pepper. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was on a call yesterday and she poked her head in and someone said, is that your intern? I said, yeah, that sure is. your Um, data scientist. She's our data scientist in training. Yes, a little shih tzu, as cute as she is. Um, No, so it's owned by our head of engineering, but our head of product and head of growth are constantly in there, you know, looking at the various data points. But collection on the back end is definitely owned by our head of engineering. Do you use sort of off-the-shelf vendors and tools to do that, or have you put it together in-house? Yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit of both right now, right? And Mm -hmm. I think it it makes sense, especially when, you know, as a startup, you have limited resources, limited team members, limited budget, limited energy, limited sleep, right? Everything is a limited resource at this point in time. And so if you can, you know, take a note or a page from the book of, you know, like a Google per se, or another large, like an Amazon or an AWS, and because they have tons of engineers, hundreds of thousands of engineers who focus on like one thing. If you can just take a page from their book and then leverage that to build your proprietary processes, it works best for us because we're, we're leveraging what they have done to teach and train our team. We're leveraging what they have done to teach and train our models internally. And it just makes the most sense. How long have you been working on models? When did the Google program start? <laughs> so just really like a couple of months prior mm-hmm. to the Google program starting. So it's been fewer than a couple of quarters. We first started thinking about how to leverage machine learning and AI as it relates to like a recommendation engine, right? So Mm -hmm. stylists will come onto the platform. And again, this is a brand new behavior that we are helping them to reimagine, you know, especially coming out of COVID. They've been telling us, hey guys, the way that I think about how I work, where I work, the number of days I work and how much I want to pay to access that professional space, like all of that is changing. And no, I don't want to sign any kind of long-term contract, whether that be with my gym membership down the street or with Salon um, ABC. And so we, we completely understand that. We saw this change happening and, and felt the winds of change, gosh, almost you know eight years ago now, nine years ago now. And so it's, it's unfortunate, of course, that COVID had to become that tipping point, but it's definitely what it has become. Uh, and so we were first thinking about recommendation engines. So like Lindsay, if you had downloaded the ShareShare app and depending on where you were located, uh, you may have already given us some information, like what's your license specialty? You may tell me that you are a nail tech in the city of New York and that you prefer to work out of places in Manhattan proper. And so based on that, and even your number of years of experience, you know, we have a really good indication of your sensitivity when it comes to price. And so we'll recommend to you a couple of options that maybe you'll, you know, click on before going to the main search engine. And so that's the first way we started thinking about leveraging the data. But then now we're thinking about uh, dynamic pricing, right? So the salons in middle America, 
are operating differently from the salons on the West Coast and East Coast, as one might imagine. Prices vary wildly as well by region and even sometimes just by neighborhoods within a particular area, right? And so, you know, our goal is to make sure that we're helping the salon and barbershop owners maximize their earnings potential on their space, but also on the same side, help the stylists be able to maximize their earnings potential when they're leveraging access to space to work and being able to keep more of their hard-earned money. And so the best way we can do that is to provide this living algorithm that tells you, you know, based on where you are, based on where you want to be, based on information that you provide and information we've gathered just from your behavior on our app, this is probably going to be the best fit for you. And of course, they have the option to choose another, you know, option, right? Like maybe I don't want to go to salon A, I want to go down the street to salon B, that's completely up to them. But we're trying to make it as easy as possible, because we know that they live and breathe on their phones. And we're just trying to meet them where they are. Hmm. What marketplace apps do you think are doing this really well that are maybe aspirational for share share? I would say the the airlines are are doing it Mm, really well. Interesting. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, I think they're doing it well simply because people have behaviors that give them that understanding. And when you when you're building something, people want different things. They they want things at different times. Different amenities even. Exactly. Right. And so that's why you have a difference with uh, American Airlines, mm-hmm. and then you have Southwest Airlines, mm-hmm. and then you may have Spirit, Spirit Airlines. Airlines. <laughs> and there, there's a need for everyone, and they're just finding their lane, and they're running in it, and they're running in it well. Spirit Airlines comes to my mind. So <laughs> you you think you're paying one price for Spirit, and then you get on there with your bag, and you realize that- They got us good you know, one time. They're, they're, you got to pay for your bag. <laughs> you got to pay for little extra things here and there. Oh, yeah. They don't bring food through, you know- uh, they bring ice, but you don't <laughs> yeah. drink. Oh, you want a seatbelt? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. going to be extra. So, you know, there, but there's there's a space for those people. Every, everybody has a lane. Then you go to Southwest. You know, there's no seating chart. You know, you just kind of have to go and get in there based on ABC, mm-hmm. as opposed to going on American, where you know they let the executive service platinum. the executive platinum. Mm-hmm. Then the people that serve the country go on mm-hmm. and older people. So, you know, you get your seat assignments and they don't seat you from the back to the front. They seat you from front to back. And so it's just, it, it's a different mindset when you think about it. It's a lot of little details that some people just don't think about, but it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. people are willing to pay the change in price, right? Based on what details. extra the details, based on the extras that they're getting. And even with the time of day, that someone may be looking to book an air ticket, right? It it may be different on a Friday than it is on a Monday traveling that same weekend. And so we're just very in tune with especially this rising generation and how they're, they're telling us they want to be able to maneuver through this world. They're saying, hey, share, share, you know, you're just one of the many brands that I work with. But all in all, like the net net of this is that I just want to be able to pay for what I use. And I want to choose which, you know, level or tier that I want to leverage that or use that particular item. And it's so funny, you know, I I see and say this and we can move on from this. But you think about AOL when America O-Line was a part of just this whole technology world. Mm. And now no one says AOL. Everyone (laughs) says Google. Google's the verb that everyone says now. So it just goes to show you that it's changing really fast. How are we able to adapt to the change? Are we looking ahead? And if we're adapting to it, who's creating change? Mm -hmm. So we're in both sides. We're looking at both ways of really connecting with our users. Yeah, that makes sense because you you have mentioned before that offering more features around intelligent pricing 
and flexibility of that pricing is important to your users. So, you, you know, on the one hand, you've got folks who want to decide, you know, I don't need this extra thing, so I don't want to pay for it mm-hmm. while you're helping the folks managing the space kind of max out on, you know, what they should be charging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like an airline or an Airbnb or even like Uber, you know, with surge pricing and, and things like that. Yeah. You're, you're right in our head, Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into the Google accelerator. Are you yeah. in it right now? We are. We are, it. we are in it. In, in it deep, as deep as deep. you can be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and how long a- have you been in it now? It, this is week six and the week five. Yeah. Okay. And, and it's, it's every Tuesday through Thursday from 11 to four. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a pretty sizable chunk, but it's amazing. Like every minute, every day, every session, every one-on-one mentoring opportunity, it comes with an immense amount of value. We have yet to walk away from a meeting that we say, Oh, that, you know, we knew that already, or that was a waste of time. Yeah. Especially it's, when you've got team members saying, I'm glad I sat in on that. You, know, you got engineers emailing the coaches and, and just thanking them so much for yeah, individually. Individually. Yeah. Oh, wow. So it's it's really, really good. And the thing about it is we're so grateful that we were chosen. And we were talking about this the deep tech even before we even did this. So let's let's just think about it for a second. Before Courtney and I started Share Share, we said, let's Google and see if there's something mm. out there like us. We sure did. Okay, 11 months ago, we were talking about building deep tech, and here we are in Google's accelerator. Mm-hmm. And this is before we even knew they were going to even have one. Yeah, that's full circle. You're right. The, the first place we went to to find an app that did what we were doing manually was Google. And we said, oh, well, it's not on Google, so it does. It must not exist, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And then fast forward, like Ty mentioned, a few years later, and we're in a program sponsored by Google that has the thought process about where we were going and what we wanted to take the company. Talk about the stars lining up. Yeah, we didn't even put that on our vision board. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes machine learning projects can be really large and, you know, they can take time. So how are you balancing that with the fact that you want to take advantage of this accelerator, you want to make changes to the products, but it's going to take time? How how are you navigating that? We're navigating pretty well. And I say this right now first is that the engineers were already excited about doing it. So getting them on board wasn't a wasn't a hard sell. They were pretty yeah. excited about it. They were knowledgeable. They wanted to become more knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. And so having the data was exciting for us. So it all is just working together. Yes, it's it's a lot. It's a big bowl of gumbo, of course, but it's working together for us in a way we we kind of want it keeps us busy. It keeps us busy, it keeps us thinking. And I think the team is excited, especially our ops team, because a lot of the work that they're doing right now, which is very tedious, this machine learning and deep tech and, and AI will will help, you know, take a lot of that off their plate. You know, we're talking about anywhere from 40 to 70 percent. Yeah, it, it's kind of like we stood up in front of the team one day before we even applied for the program and said, hey, there may be an opportunity for all of us to get like our MBA in deep tech. What do you guys think? And it was resounding. Yes, of course. And so, you know, Google's been just so very gracious about opening up different doors. So you, know, you asked the question about how do you prioritize certain things? You know, it's not the program is not just about machine learning and AI. You know, if we have a question about OKRs. You know, OKRs yeah, that's right. Or growth. growth or managing remote team members, best practices for oh, like Google AdWords. Yeah. I mean, you name it. Like if we have a question, all you have to do at Google is raise your hand. 
and they're going to put you in touch with somebody. So it's kind of like overnight, we just added 50 other employees <laughs> to the Share Share team because with the quick email or quick ping, we can say, um, hey, Jason Scott, do you and who runs the, the program? Hey, do you know somebody in this role? And and it's like done. Or, hey, you know, and we're raising right now. So, like, add that as an additional layer to, you know, time and effort and energy, right? And so, hey, Jason, do you have anyone who could help with this type of introduction, right? And so, it doesn't just stop at, you know, technology. Like, they have completely blown open the doors and said, hey, if you need help in this area, just let us know and we'll connect you. So there's an added bonus there of really expanding your network too. Oh, huge, huge, huge. Huge. I don't want it to end because like I said, it feels like we've added team members (laughs) to who are heavily invested in seeing, you know, ShareShare and the other 11 companies succeed. You know, we're we're not alone in this for sure. And so they've been just overly generous with time and resources uh, that they're putting into making sure that if you have a question, you know, we're going to not only get you to the right person to answer it, but we're going to help you like put it in motion. And how many more weeks do you have? Uh, we, we end in the middle five, of October. Five more weeks. <laughs> so she says, sadly. <laughs> so sad, so <laughs> sad. And, and we've been through, you know, 500 startups was an amazing game changer for us. That was a phenomenal accelerator. We went through YC fellowship, you know, and there are so many other accelerators now that have come on board. But I tell you, this is the one right now that is perfect for where we are in this particular stage of the company. And for this particular round within this journey, like I, I can't wait to, yes, come out of it because there's so much that we will have accomplished in the midst of it. But I will be a little sad to to see all of those deep connections go. And of course, these are relationships that we're building that hopefully will span the test of time. But it's great being able to, again, be able to call up a Googler and, and say, hey, you know, I'm a part of this program. Will you help me here? And they say, yeah, no problem. So we're just cultivating as much as we can while we're in it. Hey, Giant Robots fans. We're going to take a quick second to talk about Hover, one of our sponsors. As a listener of our show and just in general, I know you care about the business of great products. Hover wants to make sure you have a great domain for these products as Hover is jumping off point for tons of entrepreneurs. Hover has over 300 domain name extensions to choose from when building your brand online. No matter what you want to build, there's a domain name waiting for it. You'll find excellent technical support available to answer any questions you may have. Their support team doesn't upsell you. They only work hard to help you get online. With free Whois privacy protection, a clean UX UI, and monthly sales on popular top-level domains. It's hard not to see why Hover is a popular choice for people starting all kinds of businesses. I love the extent and variety they offer with over 300 domain name extensions to choose from. Grab a domain name at hover.com slash giant robots. Get a 10% discount with our referral link on all new purchases. Make a name for yourself with Hover. Are there other things you feel like you've put on hold probably in a worthwhile way so that you can focus on making the most of the accelerator? Yeah, definitely. Um, we have a lot of people calling as far as wanting to do partnerships or wanting to mm-hmm. co-market in, in any type of way. But we know that it's because we have uh, great data. You know, it's easy to want to partner with someone like us that is so small of a company right now that have all this data that you probably won't be able to get. You know, we're doing the work uh, to get this data, but definitely don't have time for partnerships right now or even talking about anybody trying to... Certain partnerships. Certain partnerships. Uh, Only partnerships that we're working with in the company Mm -hmm. that we want, but just people, you know, are, are reaching out to us and, you know, we're really just putting stuff like that on hold right now. 
Yeah. And, and I would say so that, that that's Ty's perspective. And, and I actually have a different perspective right now. You're supposed to. Because <laughs> I feel like all the things on my I'll get to that later list. Like I've been able to throw at a Googler and be like, OK, I've, like, a year ago I was thinking about this or like this is what you know I'm seeing as it relates to, I don't know, you know Google AdWords. Right. And so, you know, being able to like check off those boxes, like, again, I feel like we've just added more team members to at least be able to help us think through smartly how to negotiate, you know, a, a certain turn. And so to me, it feels like I'm able to take my to do list and get it all checked off. What were you hoping to get out of the accelerator before it had started? Pretty much what we're getting, mm-hmm. insight. So it's been consistent with what you were expecting? Very, exceeded very, our expectations. Very much exceeded our expectations. Yeah. I think for me, like I wanted the engineering team to feel comfortable with this new new tech, right? They had been talking about it for, you know, like, like Ty said, like a year and said, hey, you know, we, we've been thinking about this. This is how we feel like we could use it. And we're actually not using it the way that we first thought that that kind of changed as we continue to have these deeper conversations within the Google network, but definitely wanted the engineering team to come out with a level of confidence and at least be able to feel confident in knowing which road we should go down, right? Because before it was just so vast of a theology. We were thinking, okay, well, we could take this and skin it a million different ways, but what makes the most sense for us? And then what are like those tactical steps? Like, yeah, everybody says they're going to build in machine learning into their platforms, but what's step A and then step B? Okay, and is there a step B2 and a step B3? And so, you know, being able to have access to all of that and give the team such a level of confidence to where you know we could graduate out of the program tomorrow and they would feel very confident in in going to the the next step. And as you think about continuing down this path, how does the engineering and product team evolve to meet the new needs of deep tech? Yeah, I mean we we are a tech company, right? And so first things first is that we're hiring for data scientists now. Um, the job rec is not up on the website yet, but it will be next week, probably by the time that this podcast goes live. And so, you know, having those types of players, you know, within the organization, like if you had asked us three years ago, would you ever hire a big data analyst? You'd be like, no, what is that? And why, why would we ever need that? And mm-hmm. today, that's very much conversations that we have on an almost daily basis. And it's carving out areas in the team where we know that that role will be successful and making sure that they also help stand up the success of the, the future versions of the app as the platform continues to evolve. Did I hear you mention that you're, you're fundraising now? We yeah. are. We are. Well, We're almost exciting. done raising our seed round. Exciting. Is that the word that we want to use? That's not a word we want to use. <laughs> Tiring. <laughs> yeah, predictable, calm, in yeah, the bag. Yeah, right, not a problem, never that. Yo, yeah. yeah, it's and add to that, right, that 2020 has been just like the year of the pandemics. And so it's like, what else do you want to throw at us? You know, Mother Nature is not happy. You know, finally, people are realizing that there is a certain group of people who built this country who are not getting any kind of love and respect and haven't for, you know, centuries mm-hmm. and sickness that affects everybody, not just you know, one particular group of people. Um, At least brutality. I mean, it's everything coming to the forefront. It's like, you know how when you go in, well, maybe, maybe Lindsay understands, Uh, you know how when you go in to get like a chemical peel and all of the muck kind of raises to the the surface and the esthetician tells you, hey, 
I know right now it looks horrible. It, your face looks horrid, but in the next 24, 48 hours, it's going to calm down and settle down. And it feels like the world is doing that. Like all the muck <laughs> is like rising to the top and everybody's seeing it. And we're like, oh, that's ugly. And like, oh, yeah, what are you going to do about it? And 2020 you to, is a chemical peel. That's what it is. That's, I love it, Lindsay. 2020 is a, the chemical peel we all need. Dying. <laughs> and, and so we're, we're all trying to figure out, you know, a path forward. Like how the heck are we going to get out of this and, and be better people? people and better humans for it. And that's come up in conversations even as we are fundraising. And that has been helpful. You know, I think this is the first time ever, not think, I know, this is the first time ever where we've sat on VC calls and the person on the other end of the line asked us, like, how are we doing as people knowing that our experience is, you know, we present Black in America. And so that's been very comforting to start a conversation off with, just how, how are you guys? Like, how, how are you doing? How are you navigating? How is your experience? Instead of, you know, you really want to know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that was probably our first, <laughs> our first response. Like, oh, really? You're asking us that question? Like, how long do we have? But instead of asking us, like, give me your, you know, next five year projections and what does this one particular number mean? And so that has been um, very comforting to feel that things are changing. It's slow, mm-hmm. but, but it is definitely something that, that gives us hope. That's great. So when it comes to data, like how important is it to your investors? It depends on the investor you're talking to, right? Mm-hmm. Like we we focus on the importance of it. And when we kind of mention it and bring it forth and initiate conversations around it, you can see their wheels start to spin. They're like, oh crap, like this data, like this really is diamond data. Like this is stuff that regardless of, you know, if sure, sure gets one more booking tomorrow, this is information that someone can leverage. And they start thinking through with us about how those conversations could end up, you know, from strategic partnership level to, you know, data purchasing level, et cetera, et cetera. And then you have your VC firms. And we've been pretty intentional about, you know, talking with folks who, you know, have their chops in machine learning and deep tech because going forward, you know, we're going to need someone that we can just ring up, you know, besides Jason Scott at Google and say, hey, you know, this is our issue with whatever deep tech issue that we're facing today. Um, how can you help? And so immediately those conversations start off with, OK, so tell me a little bit about the data. And those have been very, very promising. And I think they realize that. You know, investors are so different. There's no one size fits all. There's no blueprint. They're just totally different. And we, and we realize that in this particular time now in our seat round, talking to different investors, who takes it more serious than others, who have questions. So you have some investors and you like, okay, they've been in this for a very short period of time and they get it. And then you have other investors who've been in it for years and you have to kind of jump hoops to get them to understand. So when they understand that we have so much rich data, they start to kind of, like Courtney says, spin their wheels again and realize, okay, we have something even outside of them building a great app, but they have something else, which is that great data. Yeah. I mean, and then it's something that's very simple for them to understand, right, is even minus the data conversation is, okay, so ShareShare is servicing the second largest industry for freelancers. There's growth that comes out of unfortunate economic challenges, right? I remember the 07, 08 recession, we actually added more jobs to our industry than any other industry. And we saw more people transition from full-time employment within beauty and barbering to independent contractor status. And we're seeing the same thing happen post-COVID. And so when you start thinking about and noodling on, you know, how this could become like that one string that never unravels, and there's just more data that piles onto it, 
and add to that that we're building a B2B ecosystem. So it's not just space to work, but it's professional liability insurance and e-commerce and retail sale through finance and accounting and portable benefits. I mean, like the list goes on and on. And these are individual solopreneurs or businesses that we're servicing, right? Like, yes, it's the brick and mortar. That's the shiny ball that everybody sees, the marquee name and salon and barbershop location or establishment. But then you got to remember these stylists are independent small businesses on their own and they need the exact same tools that the brick and mortar has. And so how do you coalesce all of their needs into one place? That place doesn't exist before Shearshare. So we spent the whole episode talking about data and obviously when it comes to collecting information, especially if it's personal about your users, you've you've got to give that some consideration. So Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on data security and privacy and how do you handle it at Shearshare? Yeah, it's not about sharing personal data. And I think we were smart, again, going way back to the Chipotle napkin days of asking the right questions. You've mentioned Chipotle like (laughs) five times this episode. I'm starving. (laughs) Well, see if they can't be a sponsor. How about that? See, yeah, Yeah. that's where Courtney and I are marketing. So we went straight This episode is actually brought to you by Chipotle. (laughs) (laughs) Chipotle. (laughs) Natural in-product placement. Where you two can start a tech company. Yeah, I'm also Um, thinking I need one of these napkins. Oh, the napkins are magical. It's going to be... My next big idea. After the chemical peel, a visit to Chipotle <laughs> is right up our alley. Um, but but no, you're right in that you do have to be very cognizant of you know how you leverage the data. But when we were doing the manual thing, right, we were already bucketing or kind of segmenting data. So very naturally, the licensed specialty of nail techs operated and asked different questions than the licensed specialty of hairstylists or barber, right? And so their needs are different. Yes, they're all within the beauty and barbering industry, but they are different animals unto themselves. And so, you know, if someone were to ask us for, you know, X number of data, we wouldn't say, well, yes, Ty in Texas behaves this way. We would say in general, our barber with two plus years experience does these types of things. And so that makes us feel very comfortable and confident in being able to provide data that people can then use and leverage and provide even better tools. We know that us sharing that type of data only feeds our industry better and feeds the people who want to service our industry better. And so being able to provide it in that type of umbrella is something that is, yeah, we feel very good about. Okay. So we've got wrapping up the Google Accelerator, mm-hmm. wrapping up a financing round, yes. hiring a data scientist. <laughs> uh, what else you got? What, uh, you know, what, can, what else can we expect to hear about next time? Uh, did we get some rest? <laughs> Vacation. <laughs> yes. Did we get like a little bit of a reprieve and extra few hours of sleep, a couple of days off, something that can just say, hey, you know what? We worked hard. Let's celebrate a day or two and get back at it. Yeah, yeah. Ty's really good about being able to push back and say, hey, babe, we need to go walk the dog or take a couple of laps around the track. Let's just go on a, a think stroll. And, and that's really good for me. It was so funny because we didn't realize this until we took our dog to the veterinary and she had put on like three pounds over the COVID quarter. <laughs> During COVID. And I said, you know what? We got to get this weight off of you. So we started taking for like two, three extra walks oh, a day. Gosh. And I said, we're not, we're not going to lose these in pounds, Pepper. We're going to have to do these in ounces. So <laughs> and work our way up to pounds. Work our way up to pounds. Yeah, we feel the same way. Uh, so she, she's good. No, but yeah, but that that's plenty to have on your plate, right? That's enough right now. And I think for us, 
no matter what is thrown at us or what new opportunities come, like we have to continue to prioritize and weigh the most value, not only to us as a team, but also to the industry that we service every day. But it is important that, that we continue to save the course. Like there's no one else in this world, like I'm convinced that loves our industry more than we do. I mean, Ty even says it, that he'll tell people like, I love this industry more today than when I started 30 years ago. And I think the only other thing that he loves more than this industry would be me. Yeah. And, I, mean, I came to this thing working hard. I was just trying to make it. And so, you know, all those years is really paid off through all the hardships and the downturns of different times in the economy and just realizing that I made a career for myself. And then I had my queen come along and hmm. you know, realize that, hey, life can even be better than this. That's right. And now we're making that same thing happen for people all around the world. Yep, so no complaints. That's right. I think I'll end with, with saying that, you know, no matter what is thrown at us, I mean, and 2020 has been a lot of different things, right? We will continue to fight hard and go hard for what we feel is the best industry in the world. That's awesome. Great. That's a great place to, uh, to wrap it up. You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at Lindsay3D. And me on Twitter at CPytel. If folks want to follow along with Shearshare or you two, what's the best way to do that? Just follow us on Instagram at Shearshare. We're also at Shearshare on Twitter. And Ty's IG channel is at Dr. Ty Caldwell, D-R-T-Y-E-C-A-L-D-W-E-L-L. Or just go to Shearshare.com and hit up our team and tell them that you want to connect with us and they'll put you in touch. Especially data scientists. That's especially data scientists. (laughs) (laughs) This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. Thanks for listening and see you at Chipotle. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is your expert design and development partner. Let's make your product and team a success.